Got it today. Amen. Amen. We serve a sovereign, sovereign God. He is awesome. Glory to God. As we prepare um, for the preaching, open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And before we dismiss our children to Kids Dome, I would just like to say to all the kids last week, Thank you so much for the cards that you made over there in Kids Dome. That was really special, um, and I'm going to save those for the rest of my days. Amen? Amen. So you are dismissed, all the children of Kids Dome. Amen. Kids Dome, thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate it. It was a pleasant surprise. And I just want to say thank you to everyone. I mean, really, that, you know, not just Kids Dome. I just want to say a special thanks to them. Um, but I just appreciate everyone as, as we're worshiping this morning. I am sincerely, sincerely grateful for the privilege and honor that it is to serve the body of Christ. And I love you all very much. So thank you for the cards that you gave me, um, the words that you said. Um, someone, someone handed me a card and they told me, they said, read the card. With the, with the implication that I don't read the card, I just look for what's in the card. And I want you to know, I want, I, want, I want you to know that I appreciate what's in the card, but I appreciate your words and I do read them, amen? amen. And so usually what I do is I see something and I'm like, let me push this to the side for me, let me read the words so I can get the sentiment behind it, glory to God. And then I look at what else you got. But I, I just want to say thank you so much. I, I really, I really, really, really appreciate you for just appreciating me, amen? amen. So Gospel of John chapter 13, when you got it, say so. We're going to read what we read last week, and then we'll um, just so we can kind of build there. But we'll start in verse one. It says, "Now therefore, the feast of the Passover, uh, the, the, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the supper being ended, the devil having already entered, uh, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which was, which, which, with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is he who sent him greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And here's where we pick up today. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. 
Now I tell you before it comes to pass that when it does come to pass, you, be, you will believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives me receives whomever I send, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Father, we thank you so much for your word that is truth. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence that is here today. And we just ask you, Lord God, to speak to our hearts, Lord God. We pray that you would reveal yourself unto us today. We pray that you would do a great work in our hearts, God. I pray that you be glorified in these next few moments and that you use me for your glory and for your honor. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' good name, someone said. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand. Very important that you get one of those. The outlines are good. If you don't have an outline, put your hand up. Just keep it up. They'll, the ushers will come to you. Just make sure you keep it up so that way they see you. I want to make sure everybody has the outlines. Again, just a reminder, two reasons why we have these outlines. One of them is that we, when we first started our Connect Life groups, and those are our small groups that meet weekly, we were discussing the sermon, and so we would go over the sermon outline, and so that was the first reason why we did them. I always say that because it's an important moment for you to think about the fact that we have these Connect Life groups, and if you are not connecting with the body of Christ, you should be, amen, somebody. You should be connecting with one another. You should be hearing what is um, what, what is going on in each other's lives, praying. Just keep your hand up. The ushers will get them to you. Um, and so that's an important thing. The second thing that is important for me is since we've made that a habit, we changed our Connect Life groups a little bit. But the second thing is so that way you can follow along in the preaching. There are some good questions that are introspective, helps you to look at what's going on inside of your heart, how God is speaking to you. And like I said before, during the summertime, I said that you were able to utilize this to have conversations because during the summertime, we don't have Connect, but it was good for you to be able to use this to have conversation with someone that you may be trying to disciple somebody you may be trying to help grow in Christ. And so it's important that you utilize these to grow personally, but also that you pass on what you are learning. Amen? And so we're here today, and we are in um, John chapter 13. We started it last week, and we began in the first half that I read earlier just to bring us up to speed. And if you look at your outline here, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet is in, in, in a display of loving humility. We talked about that last week. He exemplifies the extent to which a person will and must go when motivated by love. Hear this. Love demonstrates itself in what? In selflessness. Love demonstrates itself in selflessness. And so Jesus says in the beginning of this chapter, John says about Jesus that he had loved his disciples to the end. He had loved his disciples perfectly. And what he's showing us is that love is supposed to be exemplified. Love is not, you know, when, when, you, when you think about the word love, you know, we always talk about, you know, um, actions speak louder than words, right? And so when you think about the words love and you say, you know, I love you, but you don't act like it, there's a problem. Someone say amen to that. There's an issue, but Jesus shows us that love the way that he depicts it, the way that he understands it from the divine perspective. Love is something even greater than anything that we fully grasp, that we fully get. And so he shows that love is supposed to be not just doing good things for other people, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but it is about us being selfless in our treatment of one another. It's about us being selfless in the way that we demonstrate this love toward one another. And so in the foot washing, Jesus exemplifies loving humility. He then explains the purpose of loving humility. And finally, this is what we'll deal with today, he exhorts his disciples to follow his example of loving humility 
hostility towards one another. Now hear me when I say this. As disciples of Jesus, doing things for others is not enough. Are you hearing me? As a disciple of Jesus, just doing stuff for other people is not enough. Doing, some, you know, doing good stuff for people is not enough, but we must be moved, motivated, and mastered by the love of God that is poured out in our hearts when we receive salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, what we have to realize is that we have been given this spirit, that the spirit of God has come to dwell in us. If you're a believer in this place, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And what happened was when the spirit of God came to dwell in you, he empowered you to do whatever the word of God tells you to do. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to do it perfectly. We'll look at that some more here. But what, what it means is that there is something that has happened. There was a transaction that was made. Jesus dies on the cross. And when he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until when? Until they are endued with power, until they receive the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to realize is that anything that God asks you to do, you you, you need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish it. If you and I are going to do anything that the Word of God asks of us, if we're going to live out the truths of Scripture, we cannot do it upon our own ability or our own strength, but we need the Spirit of God, especially, say especially, especially, in the area of love. In the area of love, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to experience what God does in our heart and that we can love the way that God calls us to love. And so we're going to look at how Jesus calls us to do this. Here is the big idea that I want you to get. Love is the glue that keeps us connected in our relationships and to our destiny. Today I'm going to talk about love connection. Love connection is the title of the message. It is the connection. It is the thing that connects me to others, and it's the thing that connects me to my destiny. I'll say the big idea one more time. Love is the glue that keeps us connected in our relationships and to our destiny. If my heart is not overflowing with love, then I am not going to do what? I'm not going to stay connected with people. You know why? Because regardless of how good someone is, listen, there are people that I love dearly, okay? And I say this sincerely. People that I love dearly, and there are moments in my life that I'm like, I love you, but I just don't want to deal with you. I'm just saying. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one, you know? I got a couple of giggles and a couple of amens. So there's a couple of other people that might feel that way sometimes, right? I mean, I love you to death, and sometimes I want you to die. I'm, hey, I'm just saying, right? I'm just <laughs> Sometimes, right, it comes out that way, like, amen, that's till death. Now, anyway, we'll, we'll leave it there, you know, but, but ultimately, right, the, the reality is that I love you. I love you with all my heart, but sometimes you do stuff that, man, it just makes me want to walk away from you. Other times lay hands on you, amen. Let's pray for you, you know, and spiritually, you know, amen, amen, right? <laughs> Glory to God. But love is something that we need the Spirit of God to work in our hearts, right? We need the Spirit of God to to do this, what Jesus is asking of us. And so love is a thing. And here's the other thing. If love is not operating in my heart, it's not going to keep me walking toward my destiny and my purpose, right? When we look at Jesus, Jesus was motivated by love. The Bible says what? John 3, 16, for God so love the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son. And so love is the motivator. Love is the thing that moves us. Love is the thing that keeps us going in the right direction. And here's the thing. We have to make sure that the object of our love are not idols, but are the right things. Amen? Amen. Important for that. So so, so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, love Love keeps us us focused focused even even when when we are betrayed. 
Love keeps us focused even when we are betrayed. Jesus experiences something here. And let's finish reading here and, 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 um, from verse 18. And we read down to verse 21 where it says, Most assuredly, Jesus saying this at the end there, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And he says this here. I want you to notice, just look at the beginning of that, the first part of that verse in verse 21. It says, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said this. And so what I want you to realize, first of all, is that Jesus was not unsusceptible to the emotions that he was feeling about being betrayed. Are you hearing me? It wasn't like, you know, because Jesus, and, and this, this is something that is so important for us to get because I think that we miss this sometimes, right? And, and, and here, here, here's, here's, the, here's the two things. I've said this before, but I repeat it again. When you look at the disciples, their problem was they had issues grasping the deity of Jesus, right? Why? Because they were walking with him every day, right? They, they saw him. Even though they saw him do miracles, they still saw the human flesh manifest body of Jesus. They saw a man. And so it was hard for them to grasp the reality of his deity. And can I tell you what our issue is on this side of the cross? Our issue is, is us grasping the humanity of Jesus. You know why? Because we read about him. We're not walking next to him. We're not sitting next to his physical body. And so it's easy for us to say, yes, he's God the Son. You know, if you believe that, that's the truth of Scripture. But it's hard for us to believe that he is also, he is not only the Son of God, but he is also another title, which is the Son of Man. Meaning that he is really human, 100%. I say this because I want you to get this. Jesus was not like Superman. What, what I'm saying is this. I want you to get what I'm trying to say. Jesus now, yes, Superman all day long. Amen? He's not, you know. But when Jesus walked this earth, he wasn't Superman. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is was Superman really susceptible to the same stuff we're susceptible to? Hello? He wasn't, right? He was acting like it. He had his fake glasses on, right? Like, yeah, I'm blind. I need, you know, assistance seeing, but he could see through things, right? Like, really? Seriously? You know, the guy was, was not like us, right? He, he was just, Superman was not like us. And so here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus can identify with us. You can't identify. Superman can't identify with you. Hello? The only weakness that Superman had was what? Kryptonite, right? And Lois Lane, I'm just saying, right? Like... <laughs> Same thing, same difference, you know what I'm saying? They're both kryptonite, glory to God. All right, amen, amen. My wife's my kryptonite, amen, I'll let you know. Anyways, let's move on. Let's keep the story going. So ultimately, what I'm trying to say is that if Jesus was not fully man, he doesn't really relate with us. And the reason why John and the other authors of Scripture are inspired to put stuff in here like he was troubled is because we, he wants us to realize Jesus is identifying. Like if you knew someone was going to betray you, would that trouble you? I'm just saying, if you knew you were going to die and someone that you had loved for the last three years and someone you had walked with, that would bother you. And what we want to know is that Jesus was bothered in his spirit and his soul because he was going to be betrayed. And so he declares at verse 22, he goes on and says, then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about, who, about whom he spoke. Now, there was, there, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. This is speaking of John, the author of this gospel. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask him who it was of whom he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I, when I, have, when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. 
Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew what, was, what, what reason he said this to him. For some thought, Jesus, for some thought, because Judas, who had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So love keeps us focused even when we are betrayed. Now, Jesus had washed the disciples' feet and then began to prophesy about his betrayer. Now, what was the the purpose that he was prophesying about his betrayer the reason why he was prophesying about his betrayer is because even though he was hurting even though he was troubled in his heart he wanted to strengthen the faith of his disciples and that way it was a counteractive movement right and and for what against the cross because here's what was about to happen what was about to happen is Jesus was gonna go to the cross and his disciples the scripture said that the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would be scattered and so what the plan of the enemy was is that after these three years, when Jesus goes and hangs on this cross, now the faith of these disciples would dissipate. The, 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 the true, the, the, the understanding of who Jesus was would, would dwindle away and these people would walk away. But Jesus does something. In the midst of his troubled heart, because of the love that he has for his disciples, he does what? He wants to give them a word of comfort and say, listen, I'm telling you this so that way when it happens, you'll know I am the one. So, but you don't get discouraged because someone betrayed you, because someone betrayed me, but that you will know that I'm the one. So when you want to run, when you want to scatter, you don't have to scatter because I am the one. I told you that this was going to happen. Now, we all know if we read, you know, and you've read through the gospel, I'm sure, that, that everybody, you know, scattered. That's the truth. We had one betrayer, we had one denier, and then the rest of them scattered. And so everyone scattered, but the truth is, because of what Jesus does, he strengthens the faith of his disciples after he resurrects, and he reminds them of the things that he communicated to them. But Jesus wanted to build the faith of his disciples. Jesus was motivated by love and all he did, pure love. For the Father and mankind, rather than, though, rather than lose focus and begin hating Judas, look what Jesus does. Jesus continued to show Judas love to the degree that he offered Judas one last offer of repentance in offering the bread of communion. I want you to think about this. First of all, in those customs, what, 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 what is believed here because of the way that the story plays out, it, because of the ease of how Jesus gave the, the bread to Judas, it seems like if Judas had the seat of honor in the house, that's what a lot of um, Bible scholars believe. So literally what they believe is that Judas was sitting close to Jesus. I want you to notice a few things about this because the first thing is nobody knew that Judas was going to betray Jesus. Are you hearing me? They were all looking at each other like, you know, Peter's like, is it me, Lord? Like, you know, they were all like, is it me? They, they, were, they were doubting themselves like, Jesus, are you talking about me? Judas asked the question, Lord, is it me? I mean, if you, and I'm talking about the other gospels, you don't see it here. But I want you to realize something about Judas' situation. Jesus did everything he could to call this man to repentance. Are you hearing me? He did miracle after miracle. He prophesied this. Listen, he's communicating these things. Scripture had to be fulfilled for sure. But I want you to know something. It wasn't like Judas was some robot or some puppet on the divine strings of God that God was like, well, you're just going to do every single... No, no, hold on a second. He was culpable for his actions. He rejected the revelation of Jesus. He decided that he was going to go ahead and continue to participate in dishonesty. The scripture says, what about the guy? That he was a thief and what? After he started walking with Jesus, you know, I don't know 
why, but they gave him the money box because, you know, people who are thieves, I guess, are good with money. I don't know. Pastor Aldo's not like that. Amen. Glory to God. He's good with money. He's not a thief. I just want to say that. The people that work with the finance, they're not thieves. They're good with money. But the point is, right, that I guess, you know, because I, I can't think of any other logical explanation for this, but the scripture says what? He continued to steal. He continued to take out of the money box. Even after he knew who Jesus was, he continued in his sin. He continued to rebel against God. And God continues to communicate, continue to show love. And even this last gesture is, is the last opportunity, man. Come on, man. I'm giving you, I'm dipping this bread into this wine. And this was something that the get the host of the, of the meal, they did this to the honored guest. That's what they did here, literally. They would dip and they would give it to an honored guest. And what he was saying to Judas, even in that, is Repent. Judas decides not to repent. He decides not to turn from sin. And he ends up being what? The scripture says that the devil entered him. It means that. Hello. The guy became at this moment of his moment where he is rejecting the offer of salvation. He's rejecting the offer of grace. He's rejecting God's goodness. He's rejected God's love. The, spirit, the Bible says that the devil entered him, meaning that the man was literally demon-possessed at this point. Listen, I want you to know something. Nobody here, you, I'm going to say this like this. If you are not doing things that are ungodly, you have no reason to fear demon possession. Are you hearing me? Y'all should have got a little bit more excited about that. Some of y'all confused. Don't be confused. Hello. Am I doing ungodly stuff? Listen to me. If you are not living in an ungodly way, if you are not practicing things that are ungodly, you don't have to worry about becoming demon-possessed. You don't have to worry about a demon jumping out of someone else, jumping into you. That's television. Hello, somebody. Are you hearing me? See, the thing is this, is that nobody just become like all of a sudden I walked into demon possession. That isn't how this happens. Hello. You see, the truth is there is a, an activity. You continue to open your life to sin. You continue to subject yourself to the works of darkness. And that's what was occurring in the life of Judas. And in the midst of this, the focus is not Judas. The focus is who? It is Jesus. It is his great love that even in the midst of all of this, while he is about to be betrayed and hurt, he does what? He loves on his disciples, even this one that was about to betray him. I mean, he had just washed Judas' feet and everything. And here's what I want you to get about this, because for us, love should keep us focused even when we are betrayed. Now, I want to say this, okay? I think a lot of people are let down. I think very few people are really, really betrayed. I'm just saying that. I think a lot of people have been let down in my own life. I mean, I could count, you know, plenty of people, you know, in situations in my life that I have been let down. I can count very few that I have really been betrayed. Are you hearing me? And so what I, what I want you to realize is that even in the midst of those situations that are so drastic, we can still remain focused. See, sometimes betrayal, hear me when I say this. I used to say this when I was a youth pastor and, I, you know, I, one time reading about Judas, I said, everybody needs a Judas in their life. Amen? I know you don't want to hear that. Everybody, everybody need, and, and, and they're like, why? I'm like, I don't know, man, but if Jesus had to have a Judas, I'm just saying, right, maybe, right? If Jesus, Jesus had to have someone that was going to betray him, we might all just need someone to betray us for what? To get us to where God wants us. You see, here, here's what I want you to get. Sometimes betrayal is part of God's process in our lives to get us to our destiny. Therefore, we must ensure, hear me, that our hearts are guarded and grounded in the love of God so that we can stay focused even when we are betrayed. I, I've heard this quote a couple of times. I think Pastor Chad might have said it up here. I'm going to quote it again. Sometimes God allows that which he hates to bring about that which he loves. Think about that. Sometimes God allows that which he hates to bring about that which he loves. 
Sometimes God allows hardship in our lives. He allows situations in our lives that he's not happy about, but he does it to bring about what? To bring about his glory. You know, I think back to when I was a kid, I think, you know, I, I think about some of the abuses I experienced and things like that. Do you think that God rejoices in, in, in children being abused? Do you think God is happy about any of that? When, when, when someone who can't defend themselves is in a situation where they're being abused? No, no, no. God is not happy about that. But you know what? You know what God is happy about? God is happy that, you know, years and years later, I'm able to testify of how he delivered me from that. I'm able to help people who are going through situations like that to know that God's grace is sufficient to where you will not walk around for the rest of your life with some kind of complex, some kind of insecurity, some kind of inferiority thing going on in your mind, but that the grace of God is able to come and deliver you to the uttermost, not just a little bit, but for real. See, that's the beauty. See, the thing that God hates Sometimes he allows so that we can bring about what he loves. What does he love? He loves to be glorified in his children. He loves it when his children can testify about, you know, man, I went through the hardest, most difficult, ugliest situation of my life, but God brought me through it. And I want you to know that there is hope for you. See, that's why the apostle Paul communicates when he's talking about how he persecuted the church and he did all of this wicked stuff. He was like, man, I, I'm the chief of sinners. That's what he's communicating, right? He's saying this and what he is saying is like, look, man, but if there is hope for me, there's hope for anyone. There is hope for anyone. And so we realize this. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is says, love becomes our emphasis as we, as we follow Jesus' example. Love becomes our emphasis as we follow Jesus' example. It becomes the emphasis in our lives. And so let's read in verse 31 here. Verse 31 says, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. I need you to underline that. I need you to highlight that. I want you to understand, Jesus did not say to his disciples, I give you a new command to love one another, and then skip over that line there and said that you also love one another. No, no, no. He says to them, as I have loved you. Know this. He goes on and says in the next verse, that by this you will be known as my disciples because of the love that you have for one another. The reason why I want to emphasize for a moment on this love that as I have is because this is not just, you know, a regular your standard, my standard of love. Well, I feel like I've loved enough or whatever the case is. No, 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 no. Jesus raises the standard and he makes the bullseye clear. He makes the standard clear. He says, love one another as I have loved you. See, husbands, this is the reason why I am often, like I tell you guys, look, we, we, have, been, we have been dealt a hand, right, as, as men in the marriage because they the Bible tells us what? To love our wives as Christ loved the church, which means what? It means that you die. Hello. Welcome to Marriage 101. All the people that are not married are like, well, I don't know if I'm going to do that. Hey, listen. I just want you to know, all right, marriage, while you may have to die, this is what Jesus says here. He says, now the Son of Man is glorified, right? And so what he's saying is, look, there's glory in this death. Are you hearing me? Amen. Glory to God. It's painful. 
It hurts, right? But, but there is glory. And husbands, I want you to know, you will experience more joy if you will die willingly. Mm, glory to God. That was good, good stuff right there. I felt that right there. <laughs> See, some of, us, some of us husbands, husbands, let's just have a marriage counseling moment here. See, some of us are unwillingly dying in our marriages and we're like, man, I just feel pain. I don't feel joy. If you would willingly die, amen? Wives, come on, say amen, amen. Come on, wives. Right? If you would willingly die, you would experience great joy. Just saying. Right? But you're so steady trying to hold on to your rights and hold on to your will. But can I tell you something? It's the same thing in our walk with Christ. We're steady trying to hold on to our life and our will and our ways. And we're trying to make it happen like we want. And instead, we should say, God, I willingly lay my life down. I willingly submit my desires at your feet because what? There is great joy in that. You experience that joy. Listen, I'm not telling you dying is not painful. Hello, somebody. But what I want you to know is that if you willingly die, it's different than when you fight tooth and nail and I'm not dying. Hello. And so we have this Jesus that gives us this example, and he shows us, he, he's already given the example, he's going to give us more of an example, but he shows us the standard of love. See, here's the thing I said this, God glories in what we often see as tragedy. You know, it struck me really weird, because as, as soon as um, Judas goes out to go and, and betray Jesus, Jesus is like, now the Son of Man is glorified. It wasn't until that moment that Judas goes out that it, now God is glorified. Listen, we all want to see God glorified in the beautiful moments of life, don't we? Right? When the birth of a child or, you know, in, in, in those moments, our child graduates, you know. For some of you, our child is moving out. Glory to God. Right? I'm just saying, like, some of, I'm just saying, some, you know, in some situations, you know, that, that's, that's we're, we're looking forward to those glorious moments, right? We're looking forward. You know, we, we glory in those things, but nobody, listen. Nobody is looking for the death of someone and be like, there's the glory of God. Are you hearing me? Have you, I have yet to meet the person that, is, that, that has felt that way. Like, that, like someone is dying and there, there, there's the glory of God. I went to the doctor. They told me I have cancer. There's the glory of God. I went to the car. No, nobody's doing that. Got into a car accident. There's the glory of God. Listen, I'm not telling you to get over spiritual here. What I'm saying is, Jesus, our example, is like, now. My betrayer walked out the room. I told him to do it, do it quickly. Now, the Son of God is glorified. In this dark moment, notice it says that it was nighttime. There's a reason why the apostle puts that in there, because it was dark, right? Deception, right? This is what's going on. And so, at the darkest moment, at this time, Jesus is going to be betrayed, and he has a big smile on his face. Now, the Son of Man is glorified. Now the Son of Man is glorified. And, 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 and church, our heart should be the same way. But even in the midst of those moments, we should come to the point that we unify with Jesus. And we can say, you know what? Now God is glorified in me. I know this is painful, but this is him being glorified in me. I know I don't want to go through this, but this is him being glorified in me. See, here Jesus gives us our, mar our marching orders, right? He says, love for one another that is beyond our natural ability, inclination, and or willingness. Something that is big, it's, it's something that's beyond us. I want you to get, listen, I want you to feel the weight of God's love. 
I want you to feel the weight of how much God loves us when we talk about this gospel. And the reason why we point out the, the, the reality of us being sinners born into sin and the reason why we drive that point home is not because we want to depress you, not because we want to discourage you. It is because, one, if you are in here and you don't know Jesus, you need to know that you are not a good person by birth. I know someone might have told you something different, but that is not the truth. Hello, somebody. All right? We need to get that. But more so, we need to realize that not only are we born into sin, but we choose to sin against God. From, listen, from as early on as we can start making choices, I mean, look, man, we always, not all of us, but most of us have dealt with little children, and we have seen them who choose to rebel against their parents as early as they can. Yeah. What I mean is they want to do what they want to do, not what you want them to do. Hello? And for some of us, you know, especially when it's like, you know, your child and they do something crazy, you're like smiling because you don't want to laugh, but you're trying to be serious. Like, you cannot do that. Hello, somebody. You know, looking at, looking around like, man, I want to laugh right now because this child is crazy. But you know what? You keep laughing. You're going to be laughing years later. You're going to be crying because you didn't deal with the issues in this child's life. And the truth is, that what do we do? It's the same thing for us as, as, as people. As we grow up and when we have those opportunities to obey God or disobey, we choose to disobey. And the reason why this matters so much is because while we choose to disobey God, while we choose to dishonor God, God still shows us love while we are enemies. We know the scripture, right? While we were his enemies, he died for us. When we were opposed to him, when we were cursing at him, when we were dishonoring him, with our lifestyle he shows us love by coming to this earth to live now now look at this he comes to this earth and lives 33 years jesus god the son lives 33 years of perfection right we're in our connect life where we were talking about adam and eve in the garden and, and i pointed out to them i said listen adam and eve in the garden they were innocent they were not perfect hello you see because innocence becomes perfect when you pass the test are you here and what happened was Jesus came to this earth, not born of a man, born of a virgin, with, his, with God being his father, not having the sinful seed in him, just like Adam was. And guess what? He had to go to the wilderness. He had to be tested. He had to be tested throughout all of his life so he could do what? So he could pass the test and he can be what we call perfect. But here's what I want you to get. God allowed all of this and that way what? So he could show us the magnitude of his love because just like Judas, many of us are the same way. Are you hearing me? We disobey, we disown, and he, and he comes to this earth and with one purpose, and that is to die in our place. It is to deliver us from our sin. It is to make us right with him. It is to give us a chance not to experience eternity in hell, but to have the opportunity to spend eternity with him. See, that is the weight of God's love. God never did anything deserving of our rebellion. Are you hearing me? God never did. God has never been bad to you. The Bible says in the book of James that every good and perfect gift comes from where? Comes from God above. Ev, not some per anything you have. Hear me when I say this. Anything you have that is good. I don't care if you believe in Jesus or not. It does, anything that anyone on this earth that they have that is good. You want to know where it came from? God Almighty. Whether they acknowledge him or not, that is the reality. And so what happens is God has this great love. And then Jesus communicates to his disciples and he tells them, I want you to love the way that I have called you to love. You see, I want you to get this. Notice this. The word love, and, and I know you weren't counting. I wasn't counting either. But as I was studying, I, I learned this. The word love is used only 12 times in the gospel of John chapter 1 through 12. Hear me. 12 times in 12 chapters. So that's an average of one time per chapter. But in John 13 through 21, it is used 44 times. Why is this so important? Well, 
Jesus prays, and you'll see when we get to John chapter 17, this is a burden in his high priestly prayer. It's something that is a big deal for us. See, here's the thing we get, and it's in the last verse, in verse 35. The greatest witness to our discipleship is a love that sacrifices for the benefit of others. Had someone ask me a question one time. I think I've shared this with you before, but they asked me, they said, is there anything that you can do to love your wife or your children more? And my answer to them was this. It depends on the day. Because there's some days that I, I can go down my mental Rolodex and I can say, man, I did everything I could to love. You know, I helped with this. I helped with that. You know, I, 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 I sat and listened. You know, I prayed for it. You know, I, and, and, and I can go through. But can I tell you something? I want you to know this. I realize something that is, that, that, that is the truth. The truth is no one, hear me when I say this, no one besides God loves perfectly. To love perfectly means that every moment of every day, of every second, I never miss a beat. It means that my love is, you can never cast a shadow on my love. There is never a doubt for my love. Listen, that's what it means to love perfectly. And, and I want you to know something. I love all of you dearly, imperfectly, but I love you. But I want you to know this as well. Although I know you and I know that, and, and I know that you guys love me, at least I hope so, I think so. But here's the thing, I'm assuming that, I'm just kidding. But I know you guys love me. But you know what? Nobody in here loves perfectly. Nobody in here loves perfectly. Here's, here, here's, what, here, here's what Carson, he's a, he's a theologian. This is what he said. He said, the new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate. Profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. With a standard like this, no thoughtful believer can ever say this side of Perusia or heaven, I am perfectly keeping the basic stipulation of the new covenant. You see, so it's easy. What's, what's the great command? And our kids, they'll know it. But when we really sit down and we look at what it means to love the way that God says that we're supposed to love, you know what we do? We, we should be humbled because our love doesn't measure up continuously like it should. It is what it is. And it's not that we don't strive to love more intensely. It's not that we don't strive to love perfectly. Listen, I would hope, and I, I, I think, you know, I shared this with you guys. You know, the first time my wife got sick, I shared it with you a few weeks ago. Um, the first time my wife got sick, I did what? I gave her a glass of orange juice, went to play basketball, said, call your mom. You remember that? That was like 18 years ago. Hello? I would hope that my love for my wife has grown. And it's not that, and hear, hear me when I say this, it's not, it's, it's not even that my love for my wife has grown, it's just my application of that love has grown. See, that's what it is. You see, and, and so we grow in the application of this love because God has poured out this love in our hearts. And so what does it do? It causes us to be humbled, but then we say what? We say, God, I want to love the way that you love. I want to grow in the love that you have poured into my heart. I want to apply it the way that I'm supposed to. But we should be humbled. See, the key component to us, for, to, to us fulfilling the will of God as we face opposition and go through trials of our, of our faith is a heart abounding in love. Here's, hear this. Jesus stands that the love for us was so high and pure that we have been given a lifelong pursuit of what perfect love is. And so here's what happens. Every day I pray that this is part of your prayer beginning tomorrow morning or today before we pray. Father, help me to love more like you. If you're married, help me to love my spouse more like you. 
If you're a parent, help me to love my children more like you. If you are a child, help me to love my parents more like you. All of us are neighbors. Help me to love my neighbors more like you. Most of us are employed. Help us to love our employers and our co-workers more like you. Help us to love those who don't know you more like you. See, that's what I'm saying. That should be the prayer that burdens our heart and that brings to the forefront, God, your love is amazing. Your love is beyond comprehension. The Bible says that God's love is beyond knowledge. And so it is beyond full comprehension. But I can pray and say, God, help me to love like you. And then you know what? Let him lead you to love more like him. Amen? Amen. The third thing I ask you to repeat is this. Say, love enables us us. to forgive those those. who will will. let us down. Love enables us to forgive those who will let us down. Can I tell you something? We are all connected with people who are going to let us down. Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me make it more applicable. Y'all are looking at a person that will let you down. I have no desire to let you down. I'm not looking for the opportunity to let you down. Hello. Like I'm saying, hey, today it's Ricky's turn. I'm letting him down. <laughs> right? Oh, Ozzy, Ozzy's up. I'm letting him down today. Right? Like, that's not my intention. I don't pray, you know, okay, I don't just think, I, I don't think, and it's not, it's not like a cool, like, hey, I'm going to let you down. I'm just letting you know that you're looking at an imperfect person. That's it. I'm not Jesus. Jesus is the only one that will never let you down. And can I tell you something? Some of you have a problem believing that. Are you here? Because when Jesus doesn't do something the way you want him to do it, you think he lets you down. So let's put that into perspective because sometimes we think people are letting us down. They're really not letting us down. They're just not letting us control, letting them control our lives. Are you here? I'm just saying, hello. But nonetheless, I'm not going to justify anything. I'll let you down. You're connected to people that are going to let you down. But can I tell you, if you will have the love of God governing your heart, then you will be able to offer them forgiveness the same way that Jesus offers forgiveness. Look at verse 36 with me. Simon Peter, this uh, is our best friend, man. I mean, Peter is like the man. I mean, he says things we're thinking all the time, and he does stuff that we're thinking, and you know what? He does the things that we would do. Hello, somebody. I'm going to let you know that right now. Right, Peter, we are no better than Peter. We all want to judge Peter, but we're just like him. Hello. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for your sake. Such a bold declarer. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. So Jesus prophesies his betrayer. He explains to his disciples how they should love one another. And then Peter is like, well, I'm going to show you how much I love you. Why can't I go with you? You can't go with me right now. You'll follow me later. He's like, no. I'll die for you. Can I tell you something? We have so many people that are saying, I'll die for Jesus, but they won't live for him. It's easy to say, I'll die for Jesus. They put a gun to my head, I'll die for Jesus. Man, but you won't live for him. You won't do what he's telling you to do. You're talking about you're going to die for him? I have a hard time believing that. Now, listen, I'm not trying to judge you if you know that you're that way, but here's the thing. What I'm telling you is that Jesus is not looking for people that are just going to die. I talked about dying earlier, right? 
He's looking for people because the way that I die is by doing what? It's by obeying his word. It's by living for him. You see, when we look at it from that perspective, it's a different thing. See, when I see it from this place, it's not about me dying when we're talking about marriage. It's not about me dying in, in, in that sense where I'm just letting go of all of my rights. But what I am doing is I am living for the glory and the honor of Jesus. See, in that, I do what? I die. In that living for the glory and honor of God, I die to myself. I lay my life down. But Peter, you know, he, expre he expressed himself, and we see... Here is another sad reality. Jesus is not only betrayed by Judas, but he is going to be denied by Peter. As we, as we experience these same situations in life, love must govern our hearts so that we can offer forgiveness. I want to just point something out because I think that this is important for us to, under, to, to, for us to recognize the difference between Peter's denial and Judas' betrayal. The first thing is this, is with Judas it was deliberate, with Peter it was unintentional. Are you hearing me? Peter really intended to say, man, I'm going to die with you, Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to lay my, I, I, I am dying for you. That, it wasn't intentional. Again, it wasn't like he said, well, man, I don't know if I can go through this. He wanted to not do that, but he couldn't. Judas's situation displays meanness. Peter showed weakness. So there's a difference between someone who deliberately does something to hurt you and someone who, man, they, they unintentionally did something. That wasn't their intention. It's a difference when someone means to hurt you, when someone means to do something wrong to you, and someone is like, man, it was, I was in a moment of weakness. See, there, there's a difference between that. And can I tell you something that's so important for us? It's so important for us to make sure that we are not betrayers in our lifestyles. Are you hearing me? It is so important for us to make sure that we're not those who are doing things meanly. It is so important that we are not those who are doing things deliberately, that we are sincerely trying to serve Christ. And when we let someone down, it is something that is because of a weakness or something that unintentionally happened. Here, let me, let me throw this out there too. We cannot become careless in our relationships with others. Are you hearing me? It's important for us to make sure that we are living the way that God has called us to. We cannot and we must we can and must ensure that we are not betrayers of others, but recognize that we all will let others down and be let down. Here, here's what I want you to get. You will let people down. The same way that I said that I let people down, the same way that that is a reality, the same reality you will let people down, no matter how much you think you won't. No matter how hard you try not to. You will let people down. And can I tell you something? This is something that I firmly believe. I firmly believe that God allows us to let down one another so that way we don't idolize one another. Are you hearing me? It's not, and I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it's like you just go do this. No, no, what I'm saying, don't be like, well, hey, God is trying to deliver me from being your idol. I just want to let you down today to make sure that you don't worship me. Like, that is not what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> just make sure you're not worried. No, 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 that's not, that's not the goal here, right? Some people, I don't want you to read into stuff that I'm saying, like, well, hey, that's cool to do this, you know. They feel good, like, well, hey, I'm not their idol now. No. <laughs> Listen, that is not the heart of what I'm trying to communicate. What I'm saying is sometimes God allows that to happen so that we do not idolize one another, so we don't worship anyone, and we realize that the one and only one that's worthy of our worship is God alone. You see, but here's the thing. Just as we would hope for forgiveness, so should we offer forgiveness to those who let us down. Are you hearing me? I want to read something to you. And this is going to be a little lengthy, so I need you to just stick with me. So it's from a book that I just finished reading. It's called Gospel by J.D. Greer. I sent this to someone in, in dealing with marriage, but I want you to hear what I'm about to say. And before I read this, I want you to hear this. The gospel, God's loving, humble sacrifice for us, reminds us that we are sinners before we are sinned against. And if Jesus offers us forgiveness, we are no one to withhold forgiveness. 
Are you hearing me? When we realize that we are sinners before we are sinned against, we act differently. Because I go from being the person who is a victim to being one who is victimized. And who have I victimized? I victimized my Savior. That's what I want you to get. I have victimized Jesus. I am a sinner against God before anything else. And so if I look at my marriage from that perspective, it helps me to do what? To offer forgiveness. So listen to what J.D. Greer writes. He's talking about his personal testimony. He says, my wife and I have been married for eight wonderful years, plus two other ones for a total of ten. For the first, those first two years were rough. I remember my wife and I crooning to each other a few months before we got married. We, we never fight. We must be perfect for each other. And we didn't fight at that point. Throughout the entire year of our dating relationship and engagement, I cannot remember a single altercation. Well, we made up for lost time during the first six months of our marriage. <laughs> After grueling it out for a couple of years, in desperation, we went to see a biblical counselor. He opened his Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul described himself as the chief of sinners. He then asked us if we thought Paul was exaggerating when he called himself that. My doctrine of the Bible made me want to say no, since the Bible is inerrant and, and Paul doesn't exaggerate. But how could Paul really think he was a bigger sinner than Judas Iscariot or Nero? Still, completely unaware of where the counselor was going with this, I said, I don't know. He said that Paul was indeed telling, telling the truth and saying that because in his, in, in his perception, he was the biggest sinner. Paul was better acquainted with his own sinfulness, catch this, than he was with anyone else. Of course, Paul knew theoretically that other people were, ever, were every bit the sinner he was, but he was so much more aware of his sin than he was of theirs. When Paul thought about a need for grace, he didn't think of others first. He thought of himself. Our counselor explained that both, both my wife and I saw one another and not ourselves as the chief of sinners. I could see my wife's sin, but I was blissfully oblivious to my own. If I had understood my own deep need for grace, I would have more naturally extended grace to her. The counselor's next word exploded in my heart like a bombshell. When you really believe the gospel, you see that you are first a sinner and only secondarily sinned against. The problem in your marriage is that neither of you seems aware of how much you've been forgiven. Because you haven't really tasted grace, you won't extend grace to each other. You need to go back to the gospel. Our marriage problems were gospel problems. That afternoon, my wife and I began to explore more intimately the grace that had been extended to us in Christ. Through that study, our entire disposition toward one another changed. We began to see ourselves as first sinner and second sinned against. And as we became more aware of our own need for grace, we became more willing to extend it to each other. Will we still hurt and disappoint one another? We still get impatient. But when I think about how much God has forgiven me of what I'm asked to forgive her of doesn't seem that substantial. As we stand amazed at what God has done for us in the cross of Christ, we find it hard to stand angry at one another. As God's grace changes us, our grace changes others. In having dealt with a number of struggling marriages in our church over the years, I have noticed that one of the biggest obstacles to showing grace to others is the belief that if you do not retaliate, those who hurt you will never learn the wrongness of what they have done. Anybody ever been there? We take it upon ourselves to educate our spouses, our kids, our coworkers, our parents, and anyone else in our path as to their faults and how they've hurt us. 
That's what I thought during those first two years of marriage. I thought the only way, the only way really to change my wife was to make her feel the pain of what she was doing to me. If I hurt her in the same way she hurt me, she'd repent. Furthermore, I felt right in paying her back for her wrong. When we, were, when, when, when we are wronged, a little divine tuning, tu, tuning fork rings in our hearts telling us that the balances of justice in the universe are off. We feel nigh unto, uh, unto deity when we are righting the wrong. We think we restore the balance of justice. Everyone will start behaving properly again. That is a lie. Is that how God changes us? By punishing us for our sin? No. God changed us by pouring, out, by pouring out undeserved kindness on us. When we tasted that, our hearts were transformed. See, when we, when we grasp the gospel of what Jesus has done for us, forgiving others isn't so hard. Are you here? When we grasp what Jesus has done for us, forgiving others, and listen, forgiving others is not lip service. Are you hearing me? Forgiving others isn't saying, oh, I forgive you. My question is this, when you forgive someone, right, I'm not talking about your betrayer. Notice Judas didn't come and hang out with the disciples again. Are you hearing me, right? Like he went and betrayed Jesus, then he went and hung himself. I'm just saying, I know you wish all your betrayers would do that. It's not going to happen. But <laughs> what I'm saying is, I, I, I don't think that we need to be ignorant, right? If someone is a betrayer and someone is malicious, I mean, the Bible talks about, you know, those who cause divisions among us to mark them. You know, the Bible tells us, you know, certain things like that. I think you should protect your heart. You shouldn't put yourself out there to be destroyed again and again. I mean, I think that that's ignorance. But what I'm saying is, in our dealings with one another, when people let us down, when we are hurt and things of that nature, well, how do we demonstrate forgiveness? It's not by saying, I forgive you, now prove that you accept my forgiveness. Hello. No, it's that we show them this unconditional love that we are showed of by the grace of God. And that's why the gospel becomes so important. That's why realizing what Jesus did for us and why he did it for us and who we are becomes so important. Because when we look at our lives from a gospel perspective, then you know what we do? We deal with people differently. We deal with our relationships differently. So here's my closing question for you. In what area of your life is love lacking the most? In what area of your life is love lacking the most? Some of us, you know, I, I, I love my spouse and some of us not so much. Some of us, I love my kids, but, eh, you know, not so much. Some of us, I love my parents, but not so much. Sometimes it's coworkers. Sometimes it's neighbors. It's so many different areas of our lives. And you know what, so, and, and, and it's not like that's like a, a standard that just stays still, right? It's not like that. This is one of those standards that does what? It's one of those things that fluctuates in our lives. Sometimes, right, it, it, it's fluid. And, and so in some moments, man, you know, I'm, I'm really amazingly loving in my marriage. And other times, not so much. Sometimes I'm amazing and loving as a, as a parent. Sometimes not so much. The other day I had to... Um, I was in the car with my daughter, and she did something that totally bothered me. And I have never, I want you to know this, I have never, ever said this to my daughter in, in anger and, ha and joking around maybe. But I got, I got out of the car, and I was like, you suck. I was nasty. I was so mean. I felt so terrible immediately. And I apologized to her for like two days. Seriously. I was like, babe, I, I came back to her. I was like, I just want you to know something. I said, I, I'm, to I'm a jerk. I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that to you. I suck. Hello. <laughs> just saying. 
And it was because she didn't do something that I wanted her to do. But the point is, that this, this is the thing. There, there, there are moments in our lives that love isn't abounding as it should. And so my question is, in a specific area of your life, you can think about that. But here's what I want you to get. I, w- I want you to get this. I, w- I want you to understand this above anything else. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to love the way that God wants us to love. And can I tell you this? If there's an area in your life that stands out sorely to you, that you say, man, I lack love in this area, can I tell you what the issue is? The issue is your relationship with Jesus. The issue is your place with God. Because I, when I first became a Christian, I struggled with loving the way that God called me to. You want to know what I did? What I did was I sat down and I started memorizing and meditating on scriptures that dealt with love so my heart would be changed so I could love the way that God wanted me to love in general. And what I'm, a- and what I'm asking you is to look at these areas in your life that you're saying that you lack love and that way you can ask God for forgiveness and you can ask him for the grace to love the way that he calls us to love. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet and let us pray together. Now, as we prepare to pray, I want you to bow your heads and I want you to, I want you to really consider where you are with the Lord. And I, and I would normally ask you to grab your neighbor's hand right now, but I, I just want to do something in, in, in particular. And if you're in this place and you're struggling, you're struggling with, I mean, with, with you, I mean, you know, I mean, this message was like penetrating your heart and you know that you're struggling, you're battling with this love thing. And you say, God, I just need your help in this area of my life. I really need your help in this area of my life. I just want you to raise your hand up real quick. Just raise your hand where you're at. I just want to pray for you. Thank you so much for raising those hands, for being bold enough to raise them up. Now I'm going to ask you to grab your neighbor's hand, and I'm going to ask you to pray for your neighbor. I want you to know hands went up all across this building right now. It's not about me getting responses. It's that I want, I want, you, to, I want you to really come before God and just humble yourself before him. I want you to pray, even if you don't know, and maybe you do know the person beside you raised their hand, but you know what? You don't know. Maybe that is that person beside you that raised your hand. I want you to pray for that person like it is that person. And now we can unify together in prayer, and we can ask the Spirit of God to do a deep work in the hearts of our brothers and our sisters. Amen? Father, we thank you so much. God, you saw the hands that went up in this place today, Lord God, as we talked about love, Lord. Lord God, you call yourself love. You declare yourself to be few things as those are who you are, but love is one of them, God. And so, Lord, today I just I come together with those who are struggling to love the way that you call them to love, Lord God. I come to you, Lord God, with those who are who are hurting, my God, who, who have been scarred, my Lord, and who are who are battling against this, Lord God. Today I stand in the gap for them, my Lord. And Father God, I pray that every root of bitterness would be uprooted right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Father God, I pray that in place of that bitterness, that you would fill them with a love and a understanding understanding of the gospel my God I pray that those things of unforgiveness and resentment my God that those things would be uprooted right now in the name of Jesus Father God I pray for those fears of being hurt again my God I pray that those fears would be loosed in the name of Jesus my God I pray that today that you would fill with faith my God my brothers and my sisters my Lord as they strive to love like you've called us to love as they strive Lord God to love like you have declared in your word that we are to love as you love us, my God. Father, give them repentant hearts where they need to repent and give them strength, Lord God, to believe that if you call them to love like this, then you empower us to love, my God. 
Father, I pray today that you would heal wounds, my God. Heal wounds in marriages, my God. I pray that you would heal wounds in relationships, Lord God, with parents and children, my God. I pray that you would heal wounds between siblings, my God. I pray that you would heal wounds between church members, my God. I pray that you would heal wounds between neighbors and co-workers, my God. I pray today that you would restore, Lord God, the love that should abound in our hearts, my God. Father, your word tells us that the love of many in these latter days will wax cold. Father, I pray that the fire of love would burn in our hearts for you and for one another. I pray that you would be glorified. And above all things, God, let us come to grips with the understanding of the magnitude of your love. That is beyond full grasp, that is beyond full knowledge, but let us stand in awe. Let us stand in awe of who you are, God. In Jesus' great name, someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.